listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. We have a whole month of special stuff happening right now, ladies. This mm-hmm. is really exciting, especially for all of our hashtag hymn nerds mm. out there. There's we are a lot celebrating Hymnapalooza <laughs> in the month of July. It's the, it's the season of music festivals. This yeah. is not a drill. <laughs> this is the real thing. The real deal. So we are celebrating all things hymnity during the month of July. So that means that our next four episodes are going to be all hymn-themed. But since this also covers the full depth and breadth of uh, our levels of individual hymn nerdery as well <laughs> as we've covered, uh, the next four episodes will also be varying levels of serious or really not so serious <laughs> hymn nerdery. So... Regardless of how much you actually love the hymns in our hymnal, which I hope you all love them a lot, Mm. you will enjoy these episodes. I promise. Part of the reason we're doing this is that we have a giveaway going on in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Facebook group. Mm -mm. Uh, The details will be also posted on our Instagram page, but the actual giveaway will be going on in our Facebook group. So you're going to want to get in on this. We have some fantastic giveaways from Concordia Publishing House. They are totally in on this. And also fellow Lutheran lady Jessie Bell is giving us some legit hymn nerd swag. So you're going to want to be in on this giveaway. Find those details in our Facebook group that's going to run during our Hymnapalooza month. Hymnapalooza. <laughs> we need theme music for our Hymnapalooza. I just wrote it, so there you go. Welcome. <laughs> So today, since since hymn nerdery is kind of my thing, and you're used to hearing hymn nerdery episodes from from me, we're going to start off today with a bit of a background on one of my newest favorite composers. I was actually waiting for a time to talk about this dude because he's super cool. He's one of my newest ones. I think I just discovered his music, I don't know, within the last year or or rather I should say discovered how much I love his music because he's been around since <laughs> the 16th century fair so enough. Yes. <laughs> fair enough he's always been there I just kind of finally realized who this dude was so I feel like this is the end of a romantic comedy <laughs> like he's always been there for me but I just finally appreciate him <laughs> and you're running through an airport who is it, Sarah? <laughs> it's Louis Bourgeois. Oh. Louis, Louis Bourgeois. Louis Bourgeois. So most of you probably by now understand that I love lots of things in the category of church music. Rayfun Williams is still probably at the top of my favorite composers list. But Louis Bourgeois is right up there with him. And you also probably know by now that I have a deep and abiding love for France mm-hmm. and 16th century post-Reformation renaissance kind of church history. So this is kind of the culmination of all of those things. So we don't actually know a lot about Louis Bourgeois and his personal life. If you look at his Wikipedia page, it basically doesn't say anything up to when he started composing. So we don't actually know a lot about his life, which is why this was perfect for a super short hymn nerd episode, because I don't have, you know, like 30 years of his life story to tell you. Uh, (laughs) So we actually don't even know his birth and death dates exactly. Mm. He was born around 1510 in Paris and lived till about 1561. And I think you'll get some conflicting uh, death dates depending on what what source you look at and kind of when things happened in his later life. 
So this means his formative years were smack dab in the middle of the Protestant Reformation. Think about it, 1510, 1561. A lot of stuff Reformation-y happened during Mm -hmm. these times. Mm -hmm. Um, And Paris was a hotbed of religious tension during this time as well. So Calvinists, I'm not going to give you all of the Reformation history because I do not have time for that. And if you don't know it, what are you even doing here? (laughs) And the, well, so the interesting part about this story is that this isn't the Lutheran Reformation kind of stuff that we all know. This is more of the actual um, like Calvinist side of mm. the Reformation. So a lot of this history, we don't actually learn. I know a lot of this history just from reading historical fiction books <laughs> because I like reading historical fiction during this time. So Calvinists had set up camp in Geneva, Paris. Paris was <laughs> Paris was highly Catholic. So this was during a time that people were executed or like whole, you know, groups of people were massacred for believing the quote unquote wrong thing or translating and spreading the Bible in native languages. This was a, a weird time in religious history. Are these the Huguenots? I don't know if he was. I thought it was Huguenots. Huguenots. Like astronauts. (laughs) Huguenots and in the UK, Huguenots. Oh. Ah. Okay. The T is. Okay. I'll go with Huguenots because, yeah, we are Americans. Mm. We pronounce our T's. Mm. America. (laughs) Which is funny you say that because I have a lot of French coming up in here. So I apologize to um, Dr. Boyer if I butcher some of these French (laughs) words that I should know how to pronounce by now. Anyway. So anyway, it's the right time and place for the Huguenots. Yes. Yes. So the Calvinists were very interested in translating the Bible into French for people to study on their own. Um, And this included translating psalms into singable melodies. Congregational singing was becoming more of a thing for Calvinists. And this probably rings a bell for us, too, because this was a general theme at the time of the Reformation. Luther was doing the same thing for German Lutheranism. Translating the Bible into native languages was a, a huge theme of Reformation time. So this all kind of makes sense for us in our in our Lutheran spheres as well. And church music also in the Lutheran tradition was becoming a congregational singing kind of thing. Same, similar thing for Calvinism, uh, but slightly a different take. So Catholic worship at this time would have been full of these ornate choral pieces and chanting, whereas the Protestant camps were creating music for the church itself to sing and based a lot of it on the Psalms for good reason. The Psalms are are the hymn book of of the Bible. So makes sense. The difference between the Lutheran and Calvinist camps for this, though, is that Lutheran hymns were based on a wider variety of scripture and Calvinists strictly sang the Psalms. So there was there's two different theories of how to go about the congregational singing at this time. And Luther and Calvin had pretty distinctly different viewpoints for how this should all go down. So singing the Psalms was one of the biggest markers of Calvinism during this time period. And Louis Bourgeois actually played a huge role in the publication of these Psalms. Psalms for general use. And this was a side note I found in my research for this. Calvinism was first called Calvinism by Lutherans who opposed it, which I find really funny because Luther didn't want Lutherans to be called Lutherans either. So it's just like, I don't know. You never get, you don't get to pick your nicknames. Right. That's just how it goes. True. And how often are people named by like their opposers who are making fun of them and then the name just sticks? Whoops. <laughs> and then you All embrace the time. it and move on. 
So Louis was cantor in Geneva from 1545 to 1553, and he had been hired to teach psalm singing to the children's choir at St. Pierre, where John Calvin was actually the preacher. So John Calvin and Louis Bourgeois knew each other very well. And this uh, is a good thing for him later in his life, as you'll see. Um, And also at St. Gervais. He married in 1547, and he and his wife had at least one child, but that's all I could find in my limited research. So I don't, and I don't even know about his wife either. They're kind of left out of his history, Hmm. the history that I could find anyway. It happens. Um, Yes. We just don't know a lot about his life, which is cool. We have his music, which is amazing. So he published two collections of his own four voice settings of the Psalter, Psalm 50 de de Vaz. Psalm 50 de David Roi et Prophète. There's my French. That was not bad. Or 50 Psalms of David, King and Prophet. He was also granted Genevan citizenship. David. David. He was also granted. (laughs) I'm sorry. Slowing you down. He was also slow. <laughs> he was also granted Genevan citizenship because he was a religious refugee from France. And mm. I didn't do a lot of the political research on this, but just from my other reading, this probably would have been a pretty common thing because of the religious persecution mm. that was happening in France. A lot of Calvinists fled to Geneva if they didn't want to be part of the persecuted bunch that was happening there. A lot of violent stuff that was going on. Ugh. So the biggest thing he's known for, at least that I could find, is the Genevan Psalter of 1551, which, fun fact, was the basis for the hymn book for the Pilgrims, and he composed and arranged the music for this book. The Pilgrims to, like, Plymouth? Yeah. Mayflower and such? So there's a lot of our... The history connecting our American Lutheran hymnody and other denominations and other people in church music history is just really fascinating. And mm-hmm. I, I keep finding like more snippets of this, the more hymn episodes we do. So it's kind of fun. The Genevan Psalter was first published in 1539, so several years before, to psalm metrifications of Clément Merot and used only two note values, the half and the quarter note. So this is very simple music, but it was fairly complex rhythmically and very upbeat, uh, reminiscent of Lutheran chorales. Hmm. And probably, I mean, the the musical genre of the, the time period at that time as well, mid-1500s. One of my favorite time periods of music, by the way. So for the Genevan Psalter of 1551, here's more French for you guys. Somme octantetois de David, or 83 Psalms of David. Mm. Mm. Louis composed new music for 34 of those psalms, rewrote 12 of them, revised 24 of them, and didn't change 15 of them. So he had a a large part in the musical composition for this book. The original tunes were melody only, as the Calvinist doctrine restricted anything other than that. But he also composed four-part settings for singing at home. So all of the four-part stuff that we had was originally meant to be sung outside of church liturgy, but we Lutherans like to sing them in church. Yeah, that's awesome. So this is the part of his story uh, when he's actually put in jail for trying to change things. Uh-oh. Which is also maybe another uh, you know, theme of Reformation. You mm-hmm. try to change stuff and people get a little freaked out yep. about it. Mm. So the performance of these psalms was such a standardized practice uh, for Calvin, Calvin, Calvinists, Calvinismists, for Calvinists <laughs> during this time that he was actually censured by the Genevan Council in 1550. And then he was jailed for a day in December 1551 for changing the tunes 
of these psalms without a license. So John Calvin himself actually had to intervene and he was released, but that was pretty much the end of his music career on official terms with the Calvinist movement. He was Talk about worship wars. Yikes. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He was terminated from his position at Saint-Pierre and Saint-Gervais in 1553 and faded into the background um, in Lyon. He oversaw a publication of four-part polyphonic settings of the 1551 Psalter for use outside of the liturgy. And he was actually fairly highly regarded still in, in Lyon in at least until 1557. So he had what seems like quite a bit of a tumultuous relationship between the Calvinist um, Calvinist camp and the Catholic camp uh, later in his life. He actually wrote a bit of an angry pamphlet against the Genevan publishers after this time. And he also had his daughter baptized in the Catholic Church in 1560. Petty. So he had a, a bit of an interesting relationship with the church after this point, but I mean, when when your church body jails you because you changed music because you're that good of a musician, you're going to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, I would think. Salty. That's about the last that we know of his life. He did write a treatise on singing in 1550 uh, where he advocated for solfege, teaching solfege, which is one of my favorite things. And I really appreciate how he thinks. And if you have no idea what solfege is, if you've heard do a deer, a female deer, you know what solfege is. What? Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do is solfege. Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. There's your musical trivia. So by this point, you may be wondering, where on earth do we find his music in our hymnal? And it's actually surprisingly very familiar, and you've probably been singing at least one of them, maybe from the womb. So this was the mind-blowing part for me, because I like one of his tunes that people probably never sing. So he has five tunes in our Lutheran service book and one tune model. So these tunes are Freudig Zer, which is Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. <gasps> what? Wenn wir in höchsten Noten sein, When in the Hour of Deepest Need, and one of my favorites, All Mankind Fell in Adam's Fall. So that one's mm. fairly familiar. Old 124th is Draw Near and Take the Body of the Lord. Mm. Fairly familiar uh, communion hymn. And God of the Prophets, Bless the Prophet's Son. I've sung that one a bunch. Uh Uh, My favorite tune, which is the reason why I wanted to do this whole episode on Louis Bourgeois, is Ronde Adieu. Father, we thank thee. Uh, Mark, how the Lamb of God's self-offering. I didn't even, I don't really know that one. And new songs of celebration render. So those three are a little bit less known probably i don't think i even started singing father we father we think he is the one that i really know we started singing that one at village a lot in the last like year and a half or two mm-hmm. years i don't think i would ever sung it before the last like two years but we started singing it and i looked at the bottom and i saw that it was louis bourgeois and i was like i wrote his name down on a piece of paper stuck it in my purse i was like i'm doing a hymn nerd episode on this <laughs> i have to <laughs> i was also reading the historical fiction about this time period, I think, at the same time that I found his name. So my brain was just like super nerdy about it. But so that one's my favorite. I need a drum roll. Okay, so the drum roll, this is the one that might blow your mind. Old Hundredth. Which one is Old Hundredth again? I don't know. The, the doxology. Like Whoa. Praise God. Did he yeah. write it or was it just one of, it was in the volume he edited? It was in there. It's attributed to him. Hold on. You know what? Editors get credit, too. Just want to say that. That's mind-blowing, Sarah. I'm looking it up to answer your question. Okay. But yes, so 
Every time during a synod function, a dinner, a potluck, a convention, Mm -hmm. someone stands up and sings the doxology. They're singing Louis Bourgeois. (laughs) (laughs) So it is in Trente Quatre. Quatre Somme de David, uh, Geneva, 1551. So it's in the edition that he edited. Whether or not he actually wrote that tune, I didn't find that information, but it is uh, attributed to him as the tune. So he's the reason we have it. That's the reason we have it. It's amazing. Yes. Which is amazing. So that one is uh, 791, all people that on earth do dwell. 632, oh Jesus, blessed Lord to thee. 775, be present at our table, Lord. 805, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Everybody knows that. Literally been singing it from the womb. And uh, 923, almighty father, bless the word. So I did not know that before I was researching for this hymn episode. And that makes me love him. Even more because he has been part of our hymn singing tradition for like ever. So mm. <laughs> that's beautiful. I love it. That's all I have. Wow. Like <laughs> <Mike> drop. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea he wrote. You're right. There are a number of them that are very familiar. There are also quite a few that I don't think I've ever sung. I, I knew that Old Hundredth had been Old Hundredth, 124th, et cetera, had been in the Genevan Psalter. Mm-hmm. Um, I just assumed they were handed down from on high. I didn't think mortal hands were actually involved <laughs> in uh, that the, their creation. But I'm glad that there were mortal hands associated with them. And thanks to God for putting good musical composers and also editors yes. in the world. Amen yes. to that. Praise God from whom all blessings. we just we sing the doxology all the time all the time and it's this great french calvinist tune (laughs) what about talus canon is that one french also i've always wondered that's thomas talus isn't it thomas talus i think he's british yeah i don't have my that's a story for another episode like one that's coming up here pretty soon oh oh Wonderful segue. (laughs) Stay tuned. All right. We have come to the end of this episode. (laughs) We're just rattling off stuff now. So, ladies, hopefully this gets you a little bit more interested uh, and maybe a little bit more nerdy about the people that write our hymns because hymns that we sing all the time were written and or edited by some really cool historical people who lived in really cool or maybe really violent historical times. (laughs) So I encourage all of you ladies, the next time you sing a hymn in church, look at the bottom of your LSB at the at the fine print and see who wrote them and what time period and maybe go like Google searching them a little bit because you never know what you're going to find. It's really cool. Speaking of the segue, the not so subtle segue into a future episode, <laughs> uh, we have three more episodes of Hymnapalooza month Hymnapalooza. coming up for your enjoyment. So, Hymnapalooza. Sorry, that was meant to be a plagal cadence and I totally whiffed it. I like it. I'm here for it. So we have three more episodes of Hymnapalooza fun happening in the month of July. And also check out our Facebook group. We want to know, um, I don't know, your favorite Louis Bourgeois tune or maybe just your favorite 
tune in the hymnal because I like to know those things about people. <laughs> Hymnapalooza has no rules, you guys. It's as you'll that see is very in true, future actually. episodes. No <laughs> rules. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Facebook to share our love of hymn nerdery this month. Uh, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook, and also follow us on our Instagram page at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Find all of our podcasts, including the upcoming. Hymnapalooza episodes. KFUO.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I make a motion that we all sing the doxology. Just kidding. Praise God from whom all <laughs> blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here be. Praise Him above ye Awesome. I love Jesus. <laughs> mm. Happy in the Palooza. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. Amen. Amen. Nah. Nah. Nah.